okay, we see y'all, you, you keep doing the same thing, but is this real life? Is it really happening? Whose imagination or whose fantasy is this? This is the AMC Mayfair Witches podcast, and I'm your host, Amy Nicholson, writer, critic, podcast host, and witch in training. Each week, I'll be bringing this coven together to talk about the latest episode in AMC's bewitching adaptation of Mayfair Witches. This week, we are digging into episode five, titled The Thrall. And this episode is big. Rowan finally faces off with her mystical spirit, Lasher, and things do not go perfectly. But there is cake, and there is an even sweeter treat. Our special guest, Tongai Teresa, who plays the mysterious Cyprian Greaves. Let's call him the frosting in the middle of this Rowan-Cyprian-Lasher love triangle. I have cautioned you this before, but because I deeply care about your well-being, I really do, I will caution you again. We are going to be discussing everything about episode 5. Spoilers aplenty. The door is open for anyone who wants to leave for 3, 2, 1. And now you're locked in with me. Lasher, let Zip go. Do it, and I will stay here playing whatever game this is. Stop. Rowan! What's the game? In this episode, we are trapped in a love nest that reveals itself to be a haunted house. But first, we flash back to 17th century Scotland for our weekly check-in with Suzanne. Our favorite village nurse just delivered a local woman's baby, but the father, to use vintage Scottish parlance, is a total dauber. A roaster. A gawk, even. If you speak ancient Scottish, you know that I am not being nice. It all seems fun and games until we see that a witch hunter has come to town, and the commotion coming from this boggin', bofin, bampot, yeah, I said it, turns the witch hunter's eyes to Suzanne. But back to our haunted house. For a lovely moment, this episode starts off like a cute little bed and breakfast getaway. Cyprian and Rowan are in that bed, they're enjoying some romantic pillow talk, but Lasher has trapped them in this bedtime bliss as some weird game, a Groundhog Day softcore romance turned nightmare. What is Lasher's game, you might ask? Well, Lasher wants him and Rowan to play dress up. They dance in fancy clothes, Rowan even gets to eat some cake. Yes, Lasher really said, let Rowan eat cake. But the beautiful fantasy that Lasher has constructed tumbles down, and Rowan has to navigate this ghostly house where souls can get trapped for all of eternity. Her biggest fight, however, is not with a ghost. It's with Carlotta. She gives Carlotta a big old stare and kills her. Kills her. That is right. Our heroine has graduated to murder. And I gotta say, kudos to our girl, man. I'm going to get into all of these hauntings and all of this hot bedtime romping and more with my guest, Tongai Teresa. Away we go. Hello, you're entering my coven. I am so happy you are here. Hello, everybody. <laughs> my name is Tongai Teresa, but you know me as Cyprian Greed from the Mayfair Witches. Happy to be here, Amy. Oh, that gave me shivers. Yeah, you got to throw a little bit of pizzazz that Cyprian Greed. That is a fancy name. <laughs> yes, really, it, is. it gets fancier the more you say it. 
Look, I, I want this to be like one of those iconic ways of saying a name. Like, I'm Bond, James Bond. So Cyprian Grieve. This would be your warlock power to have a voice that casts a spell. <laughs> That's power right there. Well, that is a power that your poor character, Cyprian, does not quite yet possess. And I have so many things I want to talk to you about about this episode. Rowan and Cyprian are trapped in this endless loop. Mm-hmm. It was a bit... COVID quarantine flashback, living out the same day over and over and over again. Right, right. But in this case, Rowan and Cyprian seem pretty happy about being stuck together for strangers who kind of literally just met. So I want you to pick a person that you do not know, dead or living, real or fictional, that you will be stuck in a Groundhog Day loop with. Ooh, that's a good question. Who would I pick? I love Meryl Streep, so... I would love to pick her brain as to how she became who she is and how she breaks down characters and what she does to prepare. Like, that's a fascinating woman for me. What kind of breakfast are you prepared to make for Meryl Streep so that she gives you this answer? Oh, man, she, she can have whatever I'm having. You know, just some goat leg and goat <laughs> curry. Have you had goat curry before? I have had goat curry. Amazing. Like, goat is good. This could be the way to Meryl's heart. I don't think a man has made her goat curry for breakfast before. <laughs> Maybe lunch, but breakfast? No, no, breakfast. You got to start off nice and heavy. Like, it's a healthy, hearty meal. Start with the goat for the goat. <laughs> you know, goat for goat. <laughs> well, I mean, so this episode is Cyprian and Rowan playing house. They're in bed together. They are making breakfast. You're not making her any goat. It's very <laughs> domestic, and it's kind of a jarring way to start the episode because... Last week's cliffhanger ended with Cyprian getting stabbed. Yeah. And then Rowan here is asking, how did we wind up in bed together? And I want to know, how did they? Last I saw y'all, y'all were just holding hands. Right. This is like a big progression. It is. And, and you know what? I think it's a great place to set it because you don't know if it's like a dream sequence. Is this really happening? And I think Esther Spalding, who's the showrunner, did a great job in creating that fantasy of what is this? Okay, we see y'all, you, you keep doing the same thing, but is this real life? Is it really happening? And if it is, are they aware of it? Yeah, exactly. Like I was asking myself, if you hook up with somebody you have a crush on in a deranged demonic bubble, <laughs> have you actually hooked up with them? <laughs> yeah, good question. <laughs> We've seen in previous episodes where Lasher is doing the thing with Deidre and, you know, Rowan is on the plane and she's feeling the effects and you're like wait so how does this work what kind of symbiotic energy is going on here and i think that's the same thing when you come into this magical world is whose imagination or whose fantasy is this well let's listen to a little snippet of that fantasy you know of you guys playing house and getting intimate emotionally intimate too and the boyfriends. Rowan. Oh, they are frat boys. And every time I thought this one will be different, he'll be kinder, smarter, funnier. Maybe he'll have a personality. But they were never different. Go make us some breakfast. Oh God. How did it end? I couldn't tell about my work. She couldn't handle not knowing. That's why I have a three-week relationship cap. <laughs> I avoid the messy stuff. Like right now, what we're doing. <laughs> because it's so terrible. It's terrible. Mm. It's so terrible. Oh, it's horrible. 
Oh, that's cute. Was it so terrible to spend hours in bed with Alexander Daddario? <laughs> it was awful. No, I'm kidding. We had tons of fun. I would do this with her 10 times over. You did do this with her 10 times over. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. What is it like for you as an actor, though, to go through the same motions, to play the same scenes, to go down and keep making breakfast again, uh -huh. but then think, what am I going to add this time to make it a little different? Thankfully, the writing itself just really helped with that because we pretty much filmed this chronologically. So it felt like it was a play on stage. And so knowing what those steps were, it, it was just so much easier to plan ahead and to really break down the journey of the character. So that was one of my favorite episodes to film. Did you actually crack those eggs yourself? Oh, yeah. I'm, yo, Amy. I didn't know if that was like a stunt hand cracking eggs, you know. What? Come on now. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm going to have to throw down. Like, I, I got some skills in the kitchen, Amy. I got skills. <laughs> leave it at that. I don't know if we'll leave it at that because now I've got even more questions. <laughs> but to talk about this very abnormal, cute weekend in bed, mm -hmm. your character is bleeding to death. Right. So you also are playing that, layering that into your egg cracking. <laughs> and you also get to play Lasher pretending to be Cyprian, saying, no, no, everything's fine. I'm totally not bleeding to death. Everything's cool. I mean, mm -hmm. first, you rock that kooky villain smile. Yeah, I've been practicing, people. I've been practicing. I'm kidding. <laughs> but thank you. Look, I think this is the fun part in being in a show like this, in the fantasy, the horror, the mystery is that you get to go to different places. Working with somebody like Jack Houston, who plays Lasher, great friend of mine, we've done a project prior to this. So, you know, walking into this, we kind of knew each other's mannerisms and characteristics outside of work. So that's always an added advantage. You know, when you see a friend and you're like, hmm, I wonder how he would play this. You know, just trying to match his energy in that sense. So you're telling me that you're a minor scholar of Jack Houstonology. Like if I wanted to be a little more Jack Houston in my daily life today, what should I be doing? Oh, well, if you want to be Jack, Jack is hyper energy. Hyper. Like if he's not on set, he's like pacing up and down, usually on the phone just talking aggressively, you know, but he's just so impassioned about life and he's got stories for days. So it's kind of like you just want to sit and be like, press play and just let Jack go. <laughs> You've got me wondering about his phone calls. Like the first thing in my head was just picturing Jack Houston in his Lasher costume, walking around going, bye, bye, sell, sell. <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile, the real Cyprian is downstairs where he meets somebody else who got stuck in this house. Let's take a listen. Anta! Anthony's not here. Stuart Townsend? You're Telemasca. You were assigned to, to protect her. It disappeared. Where'd you go? You fell in love with her, didn't you? You shouldn't have done that. Why not? He doesn't like it. He'll trap you here. Is that what happened to you? Don't die in this house. <laughs> Don't die in this house. I need to throw something out at you. Are the Telemasca bad at their jobs? Do they just keep <laughs> falling in love with people? Amy, how are you going to win when you got witches that be casting spells on you? 
<laughs> you can't. But I'm curious. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in the afterlife? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I got a crow looking at me outside my window, Amy. <laughs> but yeah, I believe in a higher power. I believe that, you know, there is an afterlife. I think we are augmentation of just so much more, you know, when they talk about just your DNA. You know, when you stretch that little bad boy up, it goes up and back to the moon I don't know how many times, you know, and something very intelligent had to design that. There is something out there, and I, and I really, really do believe in that. I have to compliment you that your ghost answer immediately went to science, because I like the blending of those two things. It's very Talamasca of you. Oh, yeah. But also, would you say, besides clearly the home that you're living in right now, which is haunted by crows, have you ever been in a house where you were like, something is wrong here? Oh, okay. Yes. So born and raised in Zimbabwe, you know, my people practice a lot of spirituality. And this is something that's very common back home. So I grew up seeing people being possessed and people talking to loved ones that I passed on. So it wasn't anything weird or strange. I've seen things in my room when I was growing up, things that didn't make sense to me. But I knew what it was that I was looking at. Shapes of something familiar? Yeah, shapes, shadows, sounds. This is not new to me. Uh, so like, you know, doing a show about witches, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, 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 know, I know a little something about this. The way I'm hearing you describe your experiences growing up, it makes the supernatural sound comforting and mm. familiar. Sound like something that doesn't have to be scary. It shouldn't. We are spirits at the end of the day. You know, we have souls, we live in a body. We tend to forget that third trifactor of who we are. Because we always hear people saying, I had an outer body experience. What do they mean by that? You know, my sixth sense or this gut feeling. No, that's, that's your spirit talking. I think if we tapped into that, we would understand a deeper dimension of who we are. I mean, I hope we both live to be 115. <laughs> but if one of us goes before the other, specifically you, if you die before me, will you come say hi? Send me a crow. In fact, I'll just say every crow I see right now is from you. <laughs> I mean, how about a dove? You know, let me send you a dove. Doves are cool, but crows are smart. One literally did his doo-doo on my car. Oh, I remember that from episode two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and this happened to me in real life. Well, did you kill the crow too? Nah, you know, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> what is terrible for you is that I am an extreme repository of crow facts because I find them fascinating. <laughs> I met some eight-year-old kids last week, and we were sharing crow facts. I'm keeping them to myself, the way we all can keep our secrets. But. <laughs> what I find really interesting about Cyprian is he is the one character who is just completely new in this adaptation. You know, he's not mm -hmm. in the books. He is his own man. Yeah. It's been fun finding out who Cyprian is. We know a little bit about him from what we've seen and some of the stuff that we'll begin to allude to in the, in the future episodes. But like you said, there's enough mystery and je ne sais quoi about this man that you're like, I want to know more. Do you find that kind of actor freedom, that kind of creativity to help shape this character mm -hmm. completely freeing? Or is it at all like a little intimidating? You're like, oh man, everybody else has somebody to lean back on as a reference point. And I, I'm really kind of running on water and creating something right. as I go, building the bridge as I sprint very fast. I think it's either or. The good thing for me is that we have the foundation. We have books that we can 
lean back to if we know we're not sure about something, but it then makes that every choice that we make, there is no wrong choice because this is something that we are discovering together versus where you have a a set character and a set narrative. You know exactly who they are. So anything you do outside of the wall of that narrative is going to look a little weird. And people are like, that doesn't feel like this character would do something like this. But because this is open season, that will hopefully unleash his true potential because what happens if he actually embraces these powers like we see Rowan begin to do? That's an interesting conversation and an interesting question that I would like to see answered. Your empathy and your insight for Cyprian, it really stands out because you're so different from him. You know, like you're a really <laughs> bubbly, talkative guy, right? And he is so right. quiet. He's in so much pain. You almost see mm-hmm. pain rippling off of him. How do you think Cyprian deals with having to hold in all of this pain? Yeah, the, the life that this man has had the trauma and this gift that probably ostracized him as a child. You either become very hardened or you actually become somebody that chooses to help people to actually say, look, I know where you've come from. I know what you're feeling. Let me help. And I think Cyprian is seeing people go through the pain of not understanding what is happening to them, like Rowan, especially when she first discovers these powers, He's like, I know what you're feeling. I understand where you've been because I've been there, not knowing who you are and why this is happening to you and to help guide you through this new discovery of what you're becoming. This metaphor you're making me picture of being a gloves-on guy or a gloves-off guy actually feels really resonant to me. The times you choose to keep your gloves on, the times you choose to take them off. Absolutely. How many people do you think he takes his gloves off for the way he does? With Rowan? Not a lot. Not a lot. If he's not on an assignment to find out information, he's not opening himself up to people's emotions like that, which is why I feel it's very, it's really interesting why he hasn't made a living out of this. Just being like opening up a shop and like, come and let me tell you your past, <laughs> you know, and what is going on. Like he could easily do that. But there's something sacred about being very careful with your gifts because he feels everything, everything. That's got to be hard on anybody. The risk, you know, the emotional risk, the vulnerability. Yeah. And I apologize if this is dorky to ask, but do you have actually literally gloves? Do you have any cool, like, <laughs> real gloves yourself? Because they he also makes them look stylish. As much as we're talking about deep emotions, he wears them very well. Oh, yes. He's a well-dressed man. Like, And he matches. He coordinates. That's the beauty about it. Like, it, What was interesting is that the gloves were made to my skin tone to allude to how he tries to blend in with society even though he knows that he's different. So he doesn't want to stand out with his gifts. That's why it's almost like he's constantly minimizing it. And the gloves represent his attempt to be a part of the fabric of society and not just look like one weirdo, you know, who's wearing gloves in the middle of summer in New Orleans. That's such a neat detail. I didn't notice yeah. that. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Well, coming back to some of the stuff that happens to Cyprian in this episode in particular, Lasher eventually does get you out of the house. Mm-hmm. Lasher then does get his one-on-one time with Rowan. Mm-hmm. Let's hear a little bit of that scene. 
see life. If that's what humanity is, mortal men are fragile. There's never been one who could contend with a Mayfair woman. Contend with? Is that how you think of love? No, it's not. Did you enjoy your time together? Was it just how you fantasized? There in your mother's room. What are you doing? Is this a trick? No tricks. Everything that is happening here is what you want. I don't want any of this. You wanted him, you got him. Now what do you want? To leave. Really? Yes. Because I think what you want is to dance. It's flattering to hear that she wanted you and she got you. Mm -hmm. A little threatening to hear that she might want something else. A little marvelous (laughs) for all of us watching that we are getting a love triangle between Lasher and Cyprian and Rowan. I mean, clearly... With your empathy for Cyprian, your team, Riprian. But can you see the appeal of why she might go team Lowen? Riprian, I love it. Hashtag Riprian, y'all. Okay, <laughs> Riprian, I like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, first of all, you're dealing with an entity that can pretty much manifest your deepest desires. You can't top that. I mean, outside the fact that he doesn't have a physical body, which is, you know, like a win for me. But it's like, how do you compete with that? And low key, is this something that Cyprian wanted to? Where's his will to say no in this environment? Very interesting. Right. And there's that quote even, that mortal men are fragile and that there has never Mm. been one who could contend with a Mayfair woman. I mean, Dating weaknesses are pretty relatable. We've all we've all got one, right? <laughs> I used to have a thing for giant redheads. So what are you going to do? So your character, though, in this episode, he never gets to have his full-on showdown with Lasher. They really haven't met in this episode. Mm-hmm. Instead, we cut to seeing Cyprian at his home. Mm-hmm. He's bleeding out. He's panting. He's in pain. You have a really gnarly wound, which I want to hear about the makeup for that cut because it's very effective in being extraordinarily gross. Yeah, that makeup was amazing. It looked so real. And I think my body started to have a visceral reaction to it. You know, you start to use your certain body part to imagine the kind of pain and how you would walk and how you react. You know, is it fast, slow? So it just aided to the suspense and the weirdness of this entire episode. Being in that headspace of being a panting, heaving victim. (laughs) I had the weirdest thought watching that scene. I thought, this almost seems a little therapeutic. Like, just get it all out. Fully act like you're feeling your body. Mentally, it allowed me to go there. So the hardest thing was maintaining that energy over five, six days. That's draining because, you know, every time you cut, you have to stay in that vibe or that frequency to keep the same type of energy that's required. And the weaker that Cyprian got, the higher that intensity needed to be. So by the time we were done filming for the day, I was mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted. I mean, I feel bad saying this in your weekend state, but 
Since the Talamasca are not always particularly good at their job of protecting the women that they keep <laughs> falling in love with, the episode what? does end with <laughs> Rowan in danger, the thing that you were supposed to prevent. Come on. But we're back at the house. Carlotta's trying to get Rowan to kill herself, but Rowan kills Carlotta instead. And this marks a moment for me because this isn't the first time that Rowan has killed somebody, but it is the first time that she's killed somebody intentionally. I mean, mm. if Cyprian was there, do you think he would have tried to stop Rowan from killing Carlotta? Absolutely. He chose the path to be a helper, not a destroyer. And above and beyond him protecting Rowan, this was his mission to take care of her. He doesn't want her to become this monster and use the power for destruction. Right, because if there is a through line in this show, it's that so many characters are trying to tell Rowan who they think she is or who she right. should be. While she's trying to figure out herself with all of these voices coming at her, mm -hmm. does he think of Rowan as a killer? No. No. I think that's the one thing I love about their dynamic is that he still believes in her. He believes in the best for her. And that even if she was to harness these powers, there's still an element of humanity within her to do the right thing. Because he understands. He understands her history better than she does. He's doing his best to help her not become just a cog in this, this massive wheel and be used as a toy for a great objective that may not necessarily benefit her. I'm imagining how bizarre it would be to start dating somebody who knows more <laughs> about your life than you do. Uh, that's Again, that's, you know, I think per perspective is everything. If somebody knew a lot about my life, well, how about we have a cup of coffee and you tell me <laughs> what it is that you have understood about my life. So if there's anything that I'm doing now that might change the trajectory, I'm here for it. <clears throat> Hello, my name is Cyprian Greaves, <laughs> and I would like you to know that your favorite color is yellow. <laughs> Your shoe size is 15, and you like to wear polka dot pants. Come on. I'm like, okay, I'm here for it. Yes. <laughs> yes. I've always wanted to be a size 15. And now I'm 14 and a half, but, you know, <laughs> something in my head always told me, nah, you're a size 15. <laughs> but before we leave, we're going to end with a little segment called Witch Fulfillment. And in this segment, we're going to ask you what choice you would make as a witch. In this episode, we see Lasher ask Rowan what her heart's desire is, and she summons up a cake. Mm. So what is your heart's desire? What would you just summon up at a moment's notice? Well, I do have a sweet tooth, though. And I did taste that cake on set. That was pretty amazing. Oh, what did it taste like? Oh, it was Amazing. Um, I wish I remember where they got it from, but they were so fancy. It's some top tier type of cake. Fabulous. You know, I'm very chill, so it'll probably be like a hamburger. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. That's just like a quick go-to. It gives me what I want. I am satisfied and just like a jumble drink, and then I'm, I'm good. Are you a yellow cheese iceberg lettuce hamburger guy, or are you a brie and arugula guy? Either or. Yo, I don't discriminate. <laughs> I don't. I'm either or. I could be I could be just low-key or bougie. Take your pick. You're a man of range. I'm a man of range. Arugula. 
see how this even sounds. Arugula. Well, this has been so much fun. I just want to say thank you for joining us. No, thank you for having me. And thank you all for taking time to watch this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did making it. I want to tell you all, I love crows. I really love crows. Like, if you bought me a whiskey and said, Amy, tell me some fun crow facts, we're going to be there for a whole bottle. I don't know what this man has against crows. I don't know why he thinks doves are superior. Doves are just like street chickens. You can eat them if you're really, really hungry. Crows are going to eat your bones, man. Crows are cool. You know what I would say to a crow if it pooped on my car? I would say, thank you, crow. Thank you for thinking of me. I feel a little bit blessed driving around with your grace. Before we go, I want to sprinkle a little hyssop into our witch's cauldron. That's this lovely little flower. It looks like lavender. It smells like mint. Its magical power is that it is said to purify a home. You can guess why I'm adding that in now, because the house that Lasher traps Rowan in in this episode is magical, and it carries so much history, especially for Anne Rice herself. We've mentioned that Anne wrote Interview with the Vampire in San Francisco when she was in her mid-30s. At that point, she had been living in San Francisco for her whole adult life, but the success of her vampire novels gave Anne the cash to move back home to New Orleans. As she put it, I just don't feel normal anyplace else. She used her money from a book advance to buy one of the dream houses of the Garden District, this 150-year-old mansion. We're talking three stories, six bedrooms, big white columns, iron balconies, murals painted on the walls, chandeliers dripping from the ceilings. You might be asking, is there a fish pond? Of course there's a fish pond. What self-respecting dream mansion does not have a fish pond? But what is most important for us on this podcast is that Anne's return to her birthplace and her choice to move into this grand historical house, that is what inspired her to write a book series about a home just like it, the mansion of the Mayfair Witches, the one that Rowan cannot seem to ever escape. So I just saw the last episode and, oh my God, Talk about uncontrolling fangirling. I am loving the slow burn. It's like the book. I read this when I was 13 in Catholic school, so it's like perfect that like as an adult, I am absolutely thirsty for this. You could just feel that this is written by women. The way Rowan exists in the space of being sexual without being sexualized. And every time a new episode drops, I am just like, leave me alone. I'm going to be with my witches. Thank you guys so much for the show. Bye. That was a wonderful message. I feel like that was me that left that message to myself almost. Former Catholic school at 13. Hello. Thirsty for things. Where are the rest of my Catholic school witches at? Are there more witches who went to Catholic school than other kinds of witches? Or if that's not true and you're a public school witch, speak up, man. Speak up. Keep calling in with your witchy thoughts, your witchy reactions, your witchy questions to 888 888- 994-WTCH. That is 888-994-9824. Your message might even be included right here in future episodes of the podcast. Next week on the pod, we'll be talking about episode six titled Transference with Hannah Aline, who plays our ye old witch Suzanne Mayfair. And we'll also finally be joined by the witch consultant we've been hearing about all season, Dylan Bauer, professional witch. Make sure to watch Mayfair Witches every Sunday night on AMC or stream it early on AMC+. 
For an extended 30-day free trial of AMC+, Plus, go to amcplus.com and use promo code MAYFAIRPOD. That's Mayfair P-O-D. Podcast episodes drop on Sunday nights after the show, so subscribe wherever you listen. And thank you for listening to the AMC Mayfair Witches podcast. This is an AMC Networks podcast produced in partnership with Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers at AMC Networks are Kevin Dreyfus, Celia Quinnett, and Brian Swarth. Our executive producers at Pineapple are Gabrielle Lewis, Barry Finkel, Max Linsky, and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our managing producer is Aaron Kelly. Our producer is Ben Goldberg. Ari Saperstein is our editor. Mixing and engineering by Hannes Brown. I am Amy Nicholson. And thank you again to Tongay Teresa for joining us and sharing a little bit of your anti-crow slander. <laughs>